Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Enjoying the weather? No? Are you enjoying the weather? Yeah, it's very good. I need a little more light in the room so I can, I can see some people. So yeah, so good, good weather outside, beautiful day. It's going to be about 78 degrees, 76 degrees. So it's good enough to go frisbee golfing, good enough to sit outside and eat your meal for lunch, good enough to go on a picnic. No? Yes? Yeah, good enough for all of that. So, so yeah, so good enough, good enough for that. Um, but the weather is not better than Jesus, I guess, because of that song, right? Oh. Thank you. Not really sure if we have a group of people that believe that. Yeah, so yeah, Jesus, Jesus is definitely better. That's a great song. Very, very good. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13. And um, this, is a, this is a chapter about skin diseases. In fact, as you look through this and you read through it, um, you come up with about 24 skin diseases it will say leprosy in your scripture, but really the Hebrew word is uh, tesserah, or uh, pronounced by Avenger fans, tesseract. Um, but tesserah, and it's basically a bunch of different type of skin diseases, and you are looking for, what they're looking for is ones that are contagious. And so to determine that, this is the procedure to determine whether or not it's contagious. So what would happen is, according to Leviticus chapter 13, is you would have people come to the priest and they would show them their skin ailments and would look at the skin ailments and they would say, okay, you need to separate yourself from the entire community and go outside of the camp for seven days and not interact with people. And so they would quarantine the people that were sick that had symptoms outside of the camp because that's how we used to do it. And then, and then they would stay there a while and then the priest would come out and he would look at their skin and, and see if they could come back into the camp or not. And it's a whole process to do that because they didn't want to pass on whatever disease was on their body to other people. And if it was leprosy, people in the camp definitely, um, you definitely didn't want other people in the camp to get, get leprosy. That is, a, that is a very bad disease, as were all of them that were contagious. So let me just give you a, a kind of a rundown of the diseases that are talked about here um, or what they were looking at. Uh, chapter, uh, verses two through eight was shiny patches. Okay, your, your skin became kind of shiny and so they looked at that and they sent it out of the camp. A discoloration, like a particular portion of skin that was discolored, that's verses 9 through 17. Bowls or boils, depending on where you're from. And that's uh, 18 through 23. Uh, 38 through 39 talks about burns and blisters. I'm very familiar with burns and blisters. I have burns on my legs from when I was eight years old and remember that vividly. The burn, the blister, the pain. It's not fun, is it? 
No, it's not fun at all. Not fun at all. But that would be sent out of the camp. Um, in verses 29 through 37, it was sores on the scalp and beard. So if there was sores around here, the scalp or beard, that would, that would be sent, quarantined outside of the camp. Uh, rashes or blisters, it's 38, verses 38 through 39. So if you had a rash or a, or a blister, um, which, yeah, I'm not going to do that joke. However, once at this, at this point in the text, it actually says that bald men are clean. Right? Bald men are clean, so we don't have to worry about that. Nothing, nothing wrong here in the, in the head area if you're, if you're bald. And then it would go on to say bald spots on the head that were discolored, you would have to look at. So basically the priest, the priest would um, look at this and he would diagnose it and send it out of the count. Now, I've been, I've been at this job for a pretty long period of time, and there's a certain level of accuracy that if someone tells me that they are having some symptoms that I can actually diagnose those symptoms. Like, oh, uh, sister such and such had the same thing and she had to go to the hospital and get her appendix out because you always want to end it like Google would. Right? Oh, come on. Have you ever looked up Google yeah, and tried to figure it out? Let me tell you a little story, all right? A couple of weeks ago, I, I got some skin disease that would fit into Leviticus chapter 13. I, cre- I had poison ivy, and it started right here. I woke up one night, and it was, it was right here on my arm. And so I slept like this, and so then it's, it was all, like, right here. And it got, like, right in where your pants are, you know, like where the thing is. And so when you walked, it would scratch. Oh, it was, it was horrible. So I was out here, and I think it was Aaron Sink that told me to get, you know, do what Job did and get a clay pot and just start. I don't, I don't think so. But I caught this poison ivy because I was, I was doing an experiment um, with, a, with a, um, uh, a drone. I was flying a drone, and I was flying it right out here in this parking lot. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to figure out how to do it. We're doing some video stuff for Summer Spectacular and wanted to use a drone. And uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to see if I could send it through the playground. Right? And even down maybe the slide, see if I could get it to where I could go all the way down the slide that way and, and do some cool stuff like that. Well, I was going up and down, and when I went up, I, I wanted to see how high it would go. So I, I put it up in the air, and when it got to a certain level, it lost communication with my um, remote control, and the wind took it across the field where we're going to put our new parking lot over the trees and into the donkey area. And so I ran after it, and I had this controller, went all the way up to the fence, and I looked at the donkey, and I just put the controller down. I didn't notice that I had put the controller down into poison oak or ivy, whichever one it was. I haven't gone over there to figure out which one it was. All I know is I got it right here. So I climbed over the fence to get my drone. Now, you might ask the question, well, why can't you just fly it out? Well, it was upside down. I don't know if you know anything about drones, but just like airplanes, they don't fly too well upside down. And so I went over the fence, and the donkey was very curious that not only something had fallen into his little arena, but now I'm coming over into his area. So my first thought was, I need to stay in front 
of the donkey. I don't know if you know why. I don't know if you have a donkey at home that lives outside or inside of your house, but <laughs> just, I'm just having a little fun. Just having a little fun. I love everybody in here. I just, you know, okay. Anyway, I wanted to make sure that I was in front of the donkey. So, so I'm doing this, right? And, and I'm talking to the donkey. I'm telling him that this is my drone. I'm sorry it fell on your property. And about the time I was apologizing to the donkey, I was like, why am I talking to a donkey? And so, so I kept him in front. And he was very interested. He came over. He watched me. He stayed a little distance from me, but I made sure that I was in front of his face and, and kind of backed off toward the fence. And he, and he watched me until I got a, across the fence and picked up my stuff and went on. And then he went about his day. It was the most, um, probably most excitement the donkey had had in a very long period of time, really, was me coming over there. So anyway, that's how I caught poison oak. So what I had to do, and I've, I told you this, is I had to sleep downstairs, and I quarantined myself to the recliner. Now, our recliner, I said it was 30 years. That thing is probably 40 years old. It was my parents' recliners. They gave it to us when we were first married. I mean, it's, they're very old. And so I'm trying to sleep in this recliner, trying to make sure that, you know, this isn't touching anything else. It took three and a half weeks for this stuff to go away. I finally started taking Zyrtec, and when I started taking Zyrtec, it started to kind of kind of go away at that particular point in time. Um, I did use Preparation H at the very beginning on it. A new tube. Yeah, but Preparation H. Because, you know, if you put that on there, it does take the, take the itch out for a little bit, but I don't necessarily recommend that. But nonetheless, because I'm just a diagnostic person, I do not tell you how to cure the ailment that you have. So anyway, skin irritations, and here it is. So uh, look at chapter 13, verse 44, and you would notice in verse 44, the priest is making a proclamation. And he's telling this person, he is a leprous man and he is unclean and the priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease is on his head. So one of the tough conversations that a priest would have to have with somebody is that you can't, you can't go home. You, you can't go see your family. You need to leave the temple area and walk directly out of town and quarantine yourself to the outside of town. Now, we will pass on a note to tell your family where you are, but you're not, you're not even going to go by your house to pick up stuff. And so they had a, like a community thing going on to where they would feed these people and they would give them food, but they would drop it off. You were not supposed to be around them at all. And there was limited interaction with these people. So they were alone outside of the camp. I would not enjoy that part of the job. Would you? Like, and if you work in the medical field, I bet the toughest call is when you call somebody and, and you say these words. You have cancer. Your test results are back. You have whatever it is. And that has to be a very difficult call to make. Because you know the moment that you tell somebody that news, they don't necessarily have to quarantine themselves outside of the community, but in some instances they do. When you have cancer and, and some other stuff, there's, there's some stuff that you just can't be around. So you have to stay at home and you have to protect yourself and you have to make sure that you stay healthy because over a period of time, the treatment itself is sometimes, my dad says, worse than the cure. 
right? And so the treatment puts your antibodies down and, and you could really get sick. In fact, I, in my time um, of, of doing this, um, it's been very few times that cancer was the reason someone passed away. It was something else that they caught as a result of the treatments. And so that is, that is really a sad thing. However, the, the phone call that you want to make is this one. In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 6, it says this, And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and if the disease area has faded and the disease have, has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. So that would be a job that I would love to do. I would love to call somebody and say, hey, cancer's gone. Yeah, we'll have a bell at the church when you come in so you can ring it. Ding, ding, ding. We're going to celebrate. The cancer is gone. And so between the diagnosis and the proclamation that it's gone, um, there is a waiting in between time right here, right? And that, that you really have to deal with. And so this morning, I want to talk about the in-between time where these people lived while they waited for the priest to come back out and say, you're healed and you're clean. What do you do? How do you live there? Because I'll be honest with you. We don't have much trouble living on this side of the diagnosis, Right? I mean, we, we live, we try to live as best as we can. We try to follow Jesus. But when we get that phone call, it sends us into another world. And all of a sudden, we're concerned. And there's a heaviness on our shoulders. And we have to deal with some stuff. And we, we want to get the phone call to say, hey, everything's okay. Everything's all right. That's where we want to live. But it's in this in-between time. What do we do while we are waiting? Well, in Leviticus, they waited outside of the camp. So there's a certain level where you won't be around people much sometimes. Um, in this text, if you notice chapter 13, verses 45 through 46, it says this. Let me, let me get there. What they're doing in, the, in between time. 45 and 46, it says, uh, 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. So the scripture is giving the people permission to mourn the fact that they have some sort of disease that needs to be taken care of. In Christianity, uh, in our belief system, yes, we are supposed to have joy. We're supposed to have trust in God. We're supposed to have security in God. But at the same time, it is okay to be concerned about some type of health issue that you have. And it's okay to acknowledge that, that you need help and there's something not right. There's something unwhole about your body. It's okay to say, hey, I'm sick. It doesn't make you less of a person. In fact, I think it makes you more human when that particular, at least in this environment, it makes you more human. So it's okay to do that. What I think is interesting is not only are they quarantined and they can't see people, but if someone comes around, like they bring food from the village or, or from the city, they have to say, unclean, 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 right? Listen, for the past year, every time I've sneezed in Food Lion, I would turn around and say, I don't have COVID, it's allergies. It's just allergies. That's, that's what I would, I would do because you just felt compelled because you know, just heart attacks are also something that can take you out. 
Sorry about that comment, but sometimes I wonder. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, so you're quarantined and you're out here, and, and to say you're unclean, unclean, it had to be at some level emotionally degrading to you to have to say, I'm unclean. I had to tell Nicole, don't touch me. I've got poison oak, don't touch me. We can hug on this side, but I can't hug on this side because I don't believe that this stuff spreads the way that Google tells us it spreads or doesn't spread. I, I just, we just don't want you to have it. And if anybody would catch it, it would be Nicole because um, I don't really hug other people. <laughs> so nonetheless, so, so to say unclean, 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 unclean would have to be degrading. So you're alone, picture this, you're alone and you're telling people you're unclean, you can't be around people, there's no interaction. For the introverts in this room, you're like, heaven, this would be heaven. But after a while of feeling it, you, you would really want to see people and you'd really um, want people to talk to you. So what do you do in this waiting time? Well, I think you've maybe guessed the first one. You want to tell me what it is? What do you do when you get a diagnosis as a believer? As soon as you get the bad diagnosis, what do you do? You pray. You pray. And I would submit to you that that's precisely what the people that went outside of the camp, if they believed in God, did. And we have a lot of Psalms that show us this. So let me show you one. Psalm chapter 6 says this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. That's a pretty powerful verse, isn't it? He says, be gracious to me. I need some grace. I am languishing. Have you ever felt like you're languishing? I have. I have felt that way before. Where you're so sick, you just feel weak and you just can't get up. And it's just, and it's not because I'm a man. It's because I've been that sick. I know what you women think, but that's not it. If this boy can move when he's sick, he moves. If it gets me down, I'm just... I'm, I can't, I can't, I can't function. I am languishing. Heal me. So he's crying out for healing. Oh Lord, for my bones are troubled. So in this verse of scripture, you see, first of all, that you can be absolutely honest with how you're feeling with God. And this is not news for the people in this room. I am sure it's not news for people in this room, but you can be brutally honest. I am languishing. This is how I feel. I need your help. I want you to heal me. He makes an, yeah, go back. He makes, signal. He makes an honest appeal for the Lord to heal him. Oh, Lord, for my bones are troubled. I am hurting to my bones. So next screen. They were honest about their pain, absolutely honest. And second, they made an earnest appeal to God to heal them. An earnest appeal to God to heal them. Um, Jonathan, I've lost my back screen. Is he in the room? Oh, well, he'll be fired. All right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. We're not going to fire him for that. He heard the first sermon. He's just fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so we've, we've, got, we've got this um, this sense in which we can be honest. But here's a couple of things that happens more often in the Psalms when people are crying out. 
Something that they say that's more often than, Lord, heal me. I need your help. I'm in anguish. More times than not, they say words like this right here. And they're fixing that back screen. There it is. It's, I got it. Now go to the next one. Good job. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Have you ever wondered if God heard your prayer or not? Yes. I would submit to you that this psalmist, at this point in time, didn't have that problem. He proclaimed with his lips that the Lord had accepted his prayer, that the Lord had heard his prayer, that the Lord has accepted it and is doing something about it. Now, I'm not saying that this is a super faithful person. I don't know. I'm sure there might have been times in their life where they doubted whether or not God, God heard them or not. But when he wrote this, he's saying, <clears throat> I am in anguish. My bones are aching. I feel really sick. But the Lord accepts my prayer. I know that the Lord accepts my prayer. I know it even though I do not feel like he's in the room. Even though he's silent and hasn't responded to me, I know that God has answered my prayer. So what, did, what is this communicating? These people that are waiting on the Lord between the time that they're diagnosed and healed, and, and there's a lot of silence. What is this communicating? Well, it's communicating this. The psalmists and the people in Scripture are convinced that God can be trusted. They're convinced that God can be trusted. They are convinced that God can be trusted even when they don't feel like He's around. Even when they feel like he's not hearing them, they are convinced that God can be trusted. Are you convinced that God can be trusted? With the stuff going on in your life and the stuff that might happen and the stuff that has changed the scope of, of your being and your well-being, the stuff that has happened to you, are you really convinced that God can be trusted? These psalmists were agonizing over stuff. They were either being attacked by adversaries or attacked physically with healing. Do you really believe that God can be trusted? Not just say it, but you actually believe that he can be trusted. And so you say, Lord, this, this is a dark time and I really don't hear you. I really don't see you, but I trust you anyway. I trust that you're there. I trust that you're with me. Your word says that you are. I don't understand this, what I'm going through. I don't understand why I'm in this position, why I've been given this diagnosis, but I know that you can be trusted and you always do what is right. God has never, ever made a mistake. He's never made a mistake in your life. He has never made a mistake um, in your family. Your children that you have brought into this world are not mistakes. And that means that you sitting in this room, there's not a one of us that is a mistake. You're here on purpose and God can be trusted. So let's go through a couple more of these Psalms. 
Psalms 13, five through six, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is a person that is in agony over something because of sickness. They're in agony, but they're saying, hey, I trust in your steadfast love. <clears throat> it does feel like you love me, but I know that you love me. Have you ever been sick before and just felt like maybe God didn't love you? I've had that thought, right? Because our parents would punish us and that didn't feel like they loved us, right? And so, and so we trust his steadfast lust. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. If you're wondering how in the world can you do that, you go no further than Job. Job lost his entire family and had boils and skin diseases. He was very sick. And he says, I will still praise the Lord because he trusted God, had confidence in God that he never makes a mistake. Check this out. But for you, O Lord, I do wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who what? Will answer. I'm in the waiting moment. I'm waiting for you to answer, but you will answer. Here's the next one. Psalm 41 verses 11 through 12 says, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. When they are in the gap, yes, they're crying out, Lord, heal me, Lord, help me. I wanna get back into community, but they are also saying, I trust you, I know that you have heard me and I know that you are moving on my behalf. And if you are in the room and there's some type of situation that you're in that's less than ideal and you're in this in-between period between your diagnosis and your healing, I'm here to tell you that God is still the same God that was on the other side of that diagnostic and he's the same God that's going to be on the other side of your healing and he is with you today and he is there to help you and strengthen you during your dark time. That's good, isn't it? And it's very... Very good. So now that we have that covered, <clears throat> let's think. So if I'm in the in-between time and God always does what's right, there has to be a reason, right? There has to be a reason I'm going through this. So there's only two options for a believer. Option number one, you've sinned. And God's trying to get your attention to get you back on track. Option number two, you haven't sinned. Option one, you've sinned. Option two, you haven't. And there's something about this trial that God knows that you need to go through in order to become stronger in your faith. It's one or the other. And so what is it? How do, how do, how do, we, how do we analyze this? Well, first, let's go with the sin part. You have to figure out between you and God if what you're going through is to try to get you back to him. You see, the question is, is this a trial to bring me closer to God or is this a trial to bring me back to God? Are you tracking? And so you start with, is this a trial to bring me back to God? And let me tell you something, every time I have the stomach bug, I confess every single sin I've ever done that comes to my mind as I am kneeling at the white throne of judgment. 
I confess it all. I'm hurting. I'm weak. I hate. I'm just, oh, Lord, please, please have a sin, have a sin. And your first stop really is to ask God, is there something that I've done wrong that I need to confess? And it doesn't mean that as soon as you confess it, the time will be over. That's not what that means. It just means, is there something that I need to confess? I say this because only you and God can do this. In other words, if I'm sick, it is not your job to judge me that I have sinned. And if you are sick, it is not my job to judge you that you are sick because you have sinned. I should never let that come out of my mouth, even in private. And you should never let that come out of your mouth because you don't know. And if you're saying, Philip, well, I just know because they have done this and this and this and this. Okay, well, there's a group of people in the Bible that you would fit in with. It's Job's friends. And God had something to say to them at the end of the book. And I'm not judging you, but he probably is going to have something to say to you too. Fair enough? It is not your job. Your job as a believer when someone else is suffering is to support them and help them and pray for them. That is your job. Let God take care of everything else. My job when I'm suffering, first stop is have I sinned? And the reason I'm suffering is because God is trying to get my attention to get me back to him. Right? So the second one is when you have a trial that God just wants you to be a little bit closer. Now, this kind of troubles me a little bit, just a little bit, because if I want to get closer to Nicole, I take her out to dinner. And she can pick the restaurant. By the way, she's not in the room, is she? I have figured out how to get her to pick her restaurant. And guys, I just want, I want, you, to, I want you to think about this a few minutes and, and just give you a little thing. I know your wife's in the room, but don't listen right now, please. This is what you do. Um, you say, so... Let's go, out, let's go out to eat. Great. And this is way before you get there. You ask her what her favorite restaurant is, right? You ask her what her favorite restaurant is. And you say, well, I forget it. <laughs> oh, I can stop. I need to stop. <laughs> We're going to have a men's conference, and then I'm going to share it. <laughs> All right, here's what you do. Okay, here's what you do. Where do you think Quinn would like to eat? And she will pick not only where Quinn would like to eat, but she will also throw in, and I think he can get chicken tenders at Carabas. And the moment that she says that I think he can get chicken tenders at Carabas is the moment that I know that Nicole wants to go to Carabas. Are you tracking with me, guys? So you start with the children because at the end of the day, the children are really what matter more than you. So you ask them, you know, where, where would Aurora like to eat? And she'll say, well, Aurora would like to eat um, soup from Firebirds. And that's as far as we have to go for that one because that means that Nicole also wants, she agrees with Aurora on that. So you have to play, right? So that's what you do. Or what do you want for dinner? Well, you know, she'll go around there. Okay, now we're going to move on. You'll move on. That's, that's how you do it. Okay, so how do you figure out, like you would take, take people out to dinner. I wish, I wish sometimes that God would just take me out to dinner 
to get closer to me. And he does. He does provide nice times. But why can't we just do that all the time? Why can't we just walk down, a, walk down a trail and he talked to me and it's just a nice moment and we really connect in a very nice way, right? Why does it have to be a trial? Because it's through a trial that you and I both get serious about our relationship with Jesus. Serious. See, if he takes me out to dinner, he has pursued me to take me out to dinner. If he meets me on a trail, he has pursued me to meet me on that trail. When I'm in the middle of a trial, I am pursuing him and he is pursuing me and we are meeting. And it's more intense in that moment. Let me illustrate this. Um, as you know, I have a thing that strengthens my core. And as I'm saying this, I am tightening right here in the belly area. Because I don't want it, you know, strengthening my core and my shirt be way out here, do you think? He's not really doing a good job with that. He's a lay off the Krispy Kreme, right? Um, so, so I have this thing, and it's called a stealth, and, and it lays on the floor. Some of you know about this. And it kind of moves, and you do planks with it, okay? And on this, um, on this thing, on your phone, you download this app that has about 12 games on it. And so you play the games and move and move yourself as you play the game. So there's like um, a Fit Man, which is basically Pac-Man, but they couldn't call it that, so they call it Fit Man. There's like an airplane game where you go through some stuff and some hoops and stuff, and, and there's an outer space game and all that kind of stuff. Well, recently, they added this new one called Treasure Hunt, okay? And what happens is that you have the whole picture of, of the room that you're going to look at, and then they give you an image of what you need to look for, and then the room goes dark except for a little bitty circle of light. So this is what it looks like <clears throat> on, on the stealth. So, you know, you're doing this, so you get the fox, right? And then you're waiting, like, and then it goes dark. And so I actually did this. So you're moving yourself, and you find the fox, and you have to hold it there, and then it has a nice little, whoosh, you've done it type deal. And it goes through the stuff and it adds different things. And so you're, you're looking around this room, the darkness, and there's a little light and you're looking for whatever it has told you to look for. Everybody tracking? All right. So next <clears throat> to this, um, how many of y'all are familiar because we lived back then before, anyway, are familiar with um, the seven dwarfs? Everybody in the room? Familiar with Southern George? Great. I um, preached a message one time <clears throat> at a church I was working at. <laughs> I started with this story. I said, um, I said, yeah, uh, this week I rear-ended a guy. And he got out of his car and I got out of mine and I realized that he was a dwarf. And he walked up to me and he said, I am not happy. And I responded, well, which one are you? <laughs> right? Well, the story never happened. I mean, it never happened. But you would be surprised how many emails I got on that one. But it never, absolutely never happens. But, but it was just funny. So the seven dwarves, well, which one are you? Yeah. So um, the seven dwarves has this song that you're probably very familiar with. Okay? It goes, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. You know that? And then at the end of it, it's hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Right? And so you go to work, and then there's an in-between time where you're in darkness because they're miners. 
not in age, but in occupation. I just never know if I'm really saying that right. And it's spelled, is it spelled the same way? Minors and minors? I don't even know why the English language couldn't have, we have been a little bit more creative? Okay, anyway. Okay, so in the, be, in the between time, and then at the end, they're going home. So it's basically like they're diagnosed and they're waiting to be told they can go home, all right? The words you may not know that that song has are these. We dig, 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 dig from early morn till night. We dig, 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 dig up everything in sight. We dig up diamonds by the score, a thousand rubies, sometimes more. But we don't know what we dig them for. We dig, 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 dig. We dig until someone says it's time to go home. Hi-ho, hi-ho, right? So you dig, dig, dig until someone says that you can go home. If you've covered the sin thing and it's not sin and it's just a trial, the moment that you realize that is the moment that you start digging for the jewel that God is trying to teach you. And you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig until you find that truth. That's what you do. Trials are odd, right? Sometimes you're in them and you feel like you're at the end and you're going home and there's a couple of hours where you really feel more like yourself and then all of a sudden it tanks. Have you ever been in a trial like that? And you feel like you've, you've fallen back? Well, you dig here, you rest a little bit here and God just wants you to dig a little bit more to figure out whatever jewel is down there that you're supposed to learn. Here's the deal. What God wants you to learn is just a little bit. He doesn't want you to see the whole picture. I've never been given the whole picture in a trial. Never. And I would argue that you haven't either. But I am given little portions of it that I can look for. I can look for the gym. I can look for what he is trying to teach me. And I dig and dig and look and look and dig and dig until I find it. You see, a miner's hat has a light right here. And everywhere you look, that's what's illuminated. So you look and you dig. You look and you dig till you try to find that nugget. Sometimes we find less answers to our questions than we want to find. Is that not honest? We would like to have all the questions answered. Like, why is this? And how does this work? And can't we just see the whole picture? But God doesn't want you to have all the answers to all your questions. He wants you to trust him that he has all those answers. Come on. And at some point, we say, this question isn't answered, but I trust God with that answer. But he has given me this answer, and this must be what I need to work on. So he homes us in on that one. Sometimes we find less answers to our questions than we want to find, but we need to be okay with that. Here's the next one. Sometimes in the mean... Oh, yeah. Sometimes in the mind, we miss a jewel of wisdom but find another. I guarantee you that as you're mining, there is wisdom over here that God has for that particular situation that he's not going to let you find because you're looking for this particular piece of wisdom. 
What you may or may not realize is that when you are going through a time of waiting in between the diagnosis and the healing, you are looking for your little piece of wisdom, but your family is over here looking for a different piece of wisdom. Because God uses your situation not only to grow you, but to grow your family. And so their piece of wisdom isn't for you to find. It's your piece of wisdom that you're supposed to dig for. I think we spend way too often, too much time telling people what they need to learn from their trial. Right? It's not up to you, ladies and gentlemen, to tell them what they need to be learning. Now, if it's your kids, absolutely, you're supposed to tell them what they're supposed to. <laughs> absolutely, this is what you're supposed to be learning. Okay, no, yeah, just joking a little bit. But you, you do not tell them what they're supposed to be learning. You find your nugget and learn from that. Now, now you might share your nugget. You might say, this is what God has taught me during this time. You might share that with people, and that's perfectly fine. But you don't tell someone else, well, let me tell you, this is what you need to learn from your little trial. You don't do that. You are not the Holy Spirit. Let him do that work. I can tell you with a certain amount of certainty that he does a better job than you do anyway. And if you're looking, he's going to reveal what they are supposed to learn. So sometimes in the mind we miss a jewel of wisdom, but find another. Go to the next blue screen. Limitations are not preventative measures. Instead, limitations give you the freedom to focus and look in one spot for the thing needed. Limitations in the waiting time are not things that um, are not tools of freedom for you. In fact, when God limits you in your scope while you're waiting, he's actually giving you a doorway to freedom. Philip, what in the world are you talking about? Because how does limitations and freedom go together? I thought that when we were limited, we're in prison. Like we're limited in what we can do, and so we can't go outside of that scope. How can you have freedom within the limitations that God has given you in that trial? Let me give an illustration. On this side of the diagnosis, I would submit to you that just about everybody in here is way too busy. We're too busy. We often have very limited time for God and focus on God. We get busy with with sports, we get busy with work, we get busy with home, we get busy with graduation parties, we get busy with, with just different things in the life. And we're busy, busy, busy. We're, we're making the, the dollar over here so we can support the family, so that we can support the things that we can't afford sometimes, so that we can pay for those things. So we work, 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 and we're always busy, 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 busy. And so God brings sometimes a diagnostic into our life this is happening to you, so that you have to slow down. God intentionally quarantines you from time to time and makes you wait. And the moment that this happens, everybody in this room says, the first thing I do when I get a bad news is, do you think God doesn't know that? 
You haven't spent time with him over here. He knows that you are in chains and limiting your freedom over here because you are not living in his life, in his abundant life. You're chained to trying to support yourself doing all this stuff and making a name for yourself and doing all this kind of stuff and you're actually squandering your life away. God knows that and he knows that the only way you have freedom is in him. So he limits you, makes you slow down so that you can look for the nugget that will make you more faithful to him and all the while, your relationship with him is improving, like, enormously. And it's in him you have freedom in your limitations. True freedom is only in Jesus Christ. And him alone. It's hard to fathom. Well, but I have the choice to do all this stuff. Yeah, we also have the choice to chain ourselves down to a bunch of stuff that isn't worth anything. The number one thing you can do in your life is sit down, wait, and live in the presence of God. And sometimes he limits you in order for you to be free. And once you get to that moment and you find that nugget, he pronounces you clean and he moves you on. Chances are you're not going to go back to this life over here, you're going to remain in this one because you have tasted the milk and the honey of the kingdom of God and the life that Jesus offers you. Isn't that a great picture? Yeah. So limitations are not preventative measures. Instead, limitations give you the freedom to focus and look in one spot for the thing needed. I want every lady in the room that's married to lift up the left finger. Well, yeah, the left hand. I have to be choosy about the finger. Now, just go down to your ring finger. What's on that ring finger? It's a ring. It's two rings, but what is on it? There's a wedding band and there's a it's white or clear. It's a diamond. <laughs> we can tell these people haven't been buried in a lot. <laughs> it's a diamond on the ring, right? Maybe you don't have a diamond. I'm just, I'm just absolutely having a little fun here. You have a diamond. Where do you think that diamond came from? Did somebody say pressure? Huh? Right, pressure. Where did they go to get the diamond? A mine. A mine. <laughs> wow. Oh. Hi ho, hi ho. <laughs> we were flying at 10,000 feet, and I totally blotched that whole illustration. The point is the diamond that's on your finger, someone had to mine it. It wasn't a limitation, but they had to get down in the dirt, they had to find it, and then they had to make it. Sometimes in life, you have to find the diamond in order to live a different life outside of the mind. Limitations are not preventative measures. Instead, limitations give you the freedom to focus and look in one spot for the thing needed. Jonathan's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. But the last thing I want us to leave with today is, is this thought. 
There's some people that get a diagnosis and while they're here on earth, never get the phone call that they're healed. We, we, we've seen this. In fact, it's been my experience that people sometimes get the phone call that they have cancer, but something else takes them. Like very, very few times that I can think of, the cancer actually took the person. It was something like pneumonia or something else that they caught as a result of the treatment. And so, you know, they're believers. We've prayed. There wasn't a moment where they were pronounced clean. Um, what in the world is going on? Because in scripture, there's always a diagnosis and there's always a healing. And this is what I want to leave you with this morning. Death for the believer is the final moment of healing. Death for the believer is the final moment of healing. There's a song that goes, everybody wants to go to heaven, but Nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Well, you have to die to get there. And death is not that bad for the believer. In fact, it's the moment where your body is transformed and you're healed from all the ailments of this world and you're finally perfect. You're finally completely saved in the sense of your, your body and stuff, right? So for the believer... There is a diagnosis, but instead of getting a doctor's call, some people have the privilege of getting Jesus' call to say you're healed. So they die here on earth with whatever ailment they have, and the next voice they hear is Jesus that says, welcome home, my child. You will never cry anymore, you'll never have any more pain, and you're going to live with me forever. Isn't that beautiful? In the meantime, we've try to figure out who this God is, and we just wait for that moment where he does that. So death for the believer is the final moment of healing. Now, the song he's going to sing has this little deadly, you may know, you may know the words, and I would want you to hear it, but at, at one moment you go, we do, it's that easy, okay? So I want you to sing that. We do, yeah, that's, that's great. It's probably going to be in a different key, but that's my key, okay? We do. So when you get to that point in the song, I want you to sing that as loud as you can, as authentically as you can, okay? And offer that up to God and answer the response that he is singing with, we do. So without any further ado, let's enter the invitation. Let's stand.